What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener, and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. With this special thing called blockchain timestamps, all content you consume will be transparent and accountable. Welcome to the new default on the internet. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the Trusted Web together. In this episode, I'm joined by Tim Ward. Tim Ward is a communications expert with 25 years of experience based in Washington, DC. He advises, trains and coaches environmental and development organizations to use effective communications to achieve their goals. And as a publisher of the Changemaker books, um, he publishes books on exactly these topics as well as personal transformation. And he also serves on three executive boards and he's the author of over it's 10 books tim including the pro truth a practical plan for putting truth back into politics which perfectly fits the show as we're not only about the problem space but about solutions so practical plans amazing tim recording one day after a historic inauguration thanks for coming on the show you are welcome i am not only delighted to be here but elated to be here at this moment in time it's a it's a big turning point for the the United States and how they will take advantage of this moment it has yet to be seen. But I think that we're off to a, a really good start. And I do see this election as in some way a repudiation of post-truth politics. My last question in the interview is always um, how will it evolve over the coming decades, the fake news and the misinformation? But is it okay if we start with that question? So uh, I think um, fake, fake news um, leapt onto the stage four years ago with Trump's inauguration. This was four years ago to, uh, th at exactly this time when he had a smaller crowd than Obama at his inauguration. And yet he declared this was the largest crowd ever. And his press secretary went out and declared this was the largest crowd ever. And people said, no, but look, here's the photographic evidence. And people thought, well, we're going to show the evidence and that will be that. And Trump said, no, these, this has been doctored. This is not real. This is fake, fake news. This is when Kellyanne Conway came out with alternative facts, which is we have learned all too sadly, easily turn into an alternative reality, which we used to call a fantasy world. But it turns out that if you are, if you are the president and if you have a massive Twitter following, you can actually create an alternative reality alter with enough power that people will live as if it's true. And then you have a pandemic and guess what? The virus doesn't care about your fantasy reality. So it's been a rough, rough ride for the United States. And I think this turning point really marks for us a couple of things. It marks the recognition that fake news is dangerous, not just politically manipulative, but dangerous to our very life very live lifeblood and also dangerous to our democracy, as we saw with Trump of Trump's more diluted followers storming, storming the Capitol. So it's a wake up call this moment in time. And let's see if we can 
actually wake up and do something. What decides you? You're you're so engaged on the topic with with the board you're on and with, with, with the book you wrote. What these? What made you decide to write a book on the topic? After Trump's election, I really felt personally that I had to to do something. And as a a man who believes words are powerful, the communication creates transformation. It can change lives. It can change the direction of the world. I thought I need to take this on. And when I started researching the topic, one of the first people that I ran into was Gleb Spursky and an amazing uh, online um, website that he created called the Pro-Truth Pledge. And the pledge itself, which is a series of 12 truth-promoting behaviors that people can do to cleanse their bubble online, to make sure they're not part of the problem spreading misinformation, and ultimately to hold politicians accountable. Over a thousand elected officials have signed the pledge by, by now, and uh, he started this pro-truth movement. So I found him a few years ago when this movement was smaller than it is today, and we agreed to team up to write the book Pro-Truth because it was something in very different ways. Him as a neuroscientist, me as a former journalist, we cared about passionately. And so these two combined forces produced, produced this book. Yeah. You said former journalist. Aren't you a journalist? Don't you consider yourself a journalist anymore? Well, I'm not writing regular news, news stories. Yes, I have a blog who doesn't have a, who doesn't have a blog, but um, more of my energy these days is going into helping others get their, their voices heard. And as a, an imprint that, that focuses on books about transformation, uh, one of the best things about my life is I run into people who've got big, pragmatic, visionary ideas. They want to create big change, and I can give them a platform that can help boost their ability to do that, to do that well. So I'm more than happy not to have my name on a byline and instead to put great books out into the world. This one that I co-authored with Gleb, I'm awfully glad that I did. Uh, both of our strengths have turned it into something that's really useful for people just wanting to know what they can do to promote truthfulness in their own life. It, it's amazing. And also with the, with the pledge, you, I, I saw an interview from a long time back and there you had already, it was in, in the hundreds. And then, but the, the percentage of important uh, political figures that signed the pledge, that was mind blowing to me. Yes, thank you. Yeah, uh, and um, bipartisan too. There are um, Democratic members of Congress who've signed it. There's a Republican member of, of Congress and in the state houses, lots of people from both parties. One of our firm beliefs is the truth is not just bipartisan, it's transpartisan, that in a democracy, every political party has a stake in truthfulness. Because if you can't come together around a set of common facts, you can't do democracy. Democracy is people with different values, different priorities, arguing, compromising, but you need a shared reality in order to do that. You lose the shared reality like the, the Republican Party has done in the last four years. Then you just get different sides shouting at each other and possibly even even armed violence, as we saw here in, in the US. Before we go into practical plan, while researching, what was the, the what was one or two of the things that really surprised you while uh, coming to the book? Well, Gleb's specialty is cognitive biases. And he has this really great deep understanding, not just about how these mental blind spots can um, lead us into error, but also uh, the science behind them. I mean, for Gleb, everything, truth is such a driver in his, in his life. He was born in the former Soviet Union in Moldova and 
when he and his parents emigrated to the United States, they emigrated because the lies that were told by the government in that part of the world were an abhorrent thing. And for him to see those things coming up here in the United States were really, uh, it was a horror for him. So he's super science driven. He wants to make sure everything that is there has a deep basis in, in, in fact. And so we look at the cognitive biases in this book that can make it easy for politicians to lie to us. Much as a fishing lure is designed to catch a fish, politicians don't just lie randomly. They lie in ways that are designed to hook the public and make them believe what they want to hear as opposed to what is actually true. So getting right into the, the, the sciencey details of that was to me one of the most exciting, fascinating new things that I, that I learned. Uh, shifting to uh, gears a bit to to the plan, what sh what should be done to uh, fix the issues we we issued? So well, there's three three basic steps. The first step is protect yourself, and that's primarily what pro truth is. It's uh, it's a guide to recognize those those lies that politicians tell, decode them if you like, uh, protect yourself from them, and then find ways to push back. So. Protect yourself first. Second, cleanse your bubble, your social media bubble. And the pro-truth pledge here is what's really important. It's a way that you can make sure that you are not only aware of misinformation when it comes your way, but that you're not spreading it out like a virus. There are simple things you can do, right? <laughs> that can- Wash your hands. Lies, that can prevent you from dirtying uh, your, your, friends and, your, your friends and family's own, own networks. And then beyond that, you can also join the movement. You can do things like um, asking elected representatives to sign the pledge, um, volunteering for the movement in many, many ways, but really seeing pro-truth as being a movement as being an expression of a core value of a democratic society. For some people, it's intuitive. They just intuitively hate lies. If, if you discover your friend is a flagrant liar, that's it. You'll finish with them, right? You won't, you won't trust them. You won't tell them your, your, your truths or certainly not go into business with them. Same thing with politicians. How can we, when we recognize a politician is lying to us, how can we make that the value that has us say no? Ironically, we're too ready to accept that politicians lie as a general statement and we need to hold them to account so the pro-truth movement is about holding politicians to account because truth matters i agree of course and the one of the things we are working on or what the trusted web movement and community is about is true open source technology blockchain technology that was invented 30 years ago to bring at least transparency and integrity to information and later on accountability to information so it's an open source way to at least prove that you didn't tamper information and a new thing is bringing accountability so all information that matters that's the belief all information that matters must be time stamped and a next step could be connecting an identity to that information so that you at least can check where information is coming from in an open source way. If I can just say, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is absolutely essential. One of the things that, that we talk about in the Pro-Truth Pledge is fact-checking your information. But even your fact-checking is only as good as how much you trust the fact-checkers. What you're doing creating this kind of verification is similar to what 
um, what businesses are doing with their product verification. If you buy a Kiwi, how do you know, just because it's got a sticker on it that says made in New Zealand, how do you know that it's a high quality New Zealand Kiwi and not like a low quality um, Guatemalan Kiwi, sorry, Guatemala. I just pick it out because they have, you know, fruit that's grown there with pesticides and stuff like that. They've just got stickers on it, right? That's what information is like when it comes to us on the internet. How do we know? They're finding ways to put biomarker tags on 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 fruit or look at its its uh, its source uh, trace elements in it. You're suggesting the exact same thing, just like these physical supply chains for information. When we can trace information to the source, we can tell if it's coming from the president or a Russian bot. <laughs> exactly, and or or no one. And what we the. the the thing is, so we educate the publisher of information to timestamp the consumer how they can verify, but also politicians how to, or, or the policymakers, that information that, that's not transparent or hasn't have an identity connected to it shouldn't be able to spread that far in algorithms. So all information must be published on the internet, but there's always freedom of speech, but not always freedom of reach. The reach comes with taking accountability. But what I like on your approach, it seems to me from the outside that you're educating the, the citizens through the book, but with the pledge is more focused on the policymakers or politicians. So it's, it's a holistic approach with creating literacy on multiple levels. Exactly. Uh, and the literacy, in a sense, truth literacy is something that um, we all got really behind the curve on with the creation of social media, really just in, in this century, right? We didn't realize not only that information, misinformation would become pervasive, but also that it could be weaponized as it truly has been done in the last decade. And that there would be misinformation farms whose job would be to put out that misinformation. And what you're doing is going to as you said, it's going to affect the logarithms, the algorithms, because the sad thing is what people often look at are the things that are the most frightening or the ones that evoke anger. So the very things that people create misinformation for the ones we tend to spend our time on, and that's really all that the algorithms are focused on so far. So this will help us see less of the dangerous stuff, but also make us less vulnerable to, to to how information comes to us. And social media information comes to us from our friends, from our colleagues, right, who pass it on. Once it gets in, it gets into a circle of trust. And we, as humans, trust information from people we know. So when that misinformation gets in, it's a contamination that, again, like a virus, spreads between close-knitted close groups. And you're helping cut the contagion at the source, and we're helping protect people from it at the, at the end user. Both are holistic stories, and I think they must work together on the education side. It strengthens each other in, in, in many ways. Talking practical plans, what would the post-truth pledge for uh, big tech look like? And what would it look like for governments? Mm, well, wow, that is a super question. I think this, is, this moment in the U.S. is also one way where that question needs to be asked, because... When Twitter cut off Donald Trump's feed, you've probably seen the recent reports, our misinformation uh, in social media went down like 75%, right? They, they really cut off the head of the snake. 
right? So um, the question to me is, why didn't this happen sooner? Especially given the misinformation that was coming out of Trump's uh, Twitter feed, often being fed by other sources of misinformation. It was uh, costing lives in terms of the pandemic, was eroding our political process all along by flagrant lies being told again and again and, and again. So why did it take so long? Why did it take you know, armed insurgents in the capital? Yeah. One hour before, I was talking to uh, Pampoš. She, she's uh, uh, Pampoš Raina. She's a, a journalist in India. And in India, literally years ago, a lot of people are killed because of misinformation. And um, what happened there in 2018 is that Google trained journalists on misinformation and disinformation. Google News took that initiative. Um, so Big Tech had a big role in fixing uh, misinformation there. Yeah, they have a role in fixing it. And 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 there, uh, what we saw there is it, it was literally misinformation, disinformation was literally cost, costing lives on a big scale. But wasn't maybe the problem not hurtful enough? Until now, right, and and ultimately, should those decisions be left to for-profit companies to decide how information is going to flow through the citizenry of the world? So it's easy to say, well, absolutely not. But you know, then what? You say, oh, well, government should control it. But hey, let's face it: many governments have themselves been the sources of misinformation and propaganda. So it's no easy answer. I mean. Sure, maybe easy for you in the Netherlands, uh, easy for me in, uh, in in North America to say, yes, government can be part of the solution, but there's many parts of the world where it is part of the problem. So I'm not at all sure how business, government, and global citizens could work together to find some path forward, but that would be uh, a, a mission worth getting behind. Yeah, I think so. And um what will happen over the, the coming nine years until the end of the decade um, with, with more and more things like your book and the pledge and uh, what we are working on with stuff like that getting in place? What, what's your expectation or the roadmap for the rest of this decade? Well, um, let me take the most optimistic scenario first of all. Uh, I have a, a, a dear friend of mine who works for Oxfam who says, um, Optimists and pessimists. The pessimists are often right, but almost every change that took place came place because of optimists. <laughs> so the, the best path for me is that just as the written word literacy only really became spread, you, you know, 100, 120 or so years ago, spread to, to everybody and still in some countries it's being spread. So it took a while for people to learn that everything you read isn't true. And a lot of people read stuff and believed it was false in, in, in print, in books. Now we've got to do that with social media where it's not just words you're reading, but it's also people, it's videos. We have to also educate ourselves not to naively trust what we see, what we hear and what we read. That is a big campaign. Some nations are already doing it, right? Finland has, um, how to how to safely understand social media they're teaching this in kindergarten classes in grade school they get it right most of us don't most of us are naive too trusting and because of our cognitive biases we can't learn ourselves to be smarter than the misinformation that's coming our way 
it's 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 not fair to put this all on the citizen who opens up their their Facebook page and just see stuff coming at them. Our brains haven't been designed to thwart the deceptions of Facebook. They've been designed to help us survive in the African savanna. Yeah. So to put that all on the end user is not fair at all. So I can see though individuals getting wiser, educational systems catching catching up and corporations and governments deciding these are the things that need to be done so that these are tools that will help us. Otherwise, I think it's quite likely that by the end of the, the century, you may have a huge Luddite anti-social media movement that just checks out. That can be dangerous too. There's a lot of value in being connected as we are in this vast, intricate and complicated world. But I think a lot of people are gonna say, as, as they're saying already, I'm off Facebook, I'm off, I'm off Twitter. I'm no longer consuming news on, online. There's a point to that. It's a good point to that. How do we make sure we don't throw out the technological baby with the misinformation bathwater? It was a problem before the internet as well, of course. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But, but, but with 2030, have we as society found a way to uh, use having the good of social media without the harm? We are nowhere near finding finding that because it's it's not just a new technology. It's also in many ways a new drug, right? One of the, the things that we've learned from people inside of Facebook and those who develop their systems is they do it to give us this constant little drips of dopamine. And it's also an addiction as well as an information source. We're not conscious of the addiction. We're just conscious of the information. Um, but it's changing our brains in ways we really don't understand, right? right now uh more research needs to be done <laughs> that's almost yeah, for sure would would say but i would say we are out of balance right now and need to find a way of coming back into balance where social media is a much more limited part of our lives than it is now it's right now it's it's really part of a lot of our identities especially for children who've grown up in the media you know TikTok popularity uh their whole presence the, the, the fact that children are getting plastic surgery, uh, right? You know, these are warning signs and we had better heed them or we will be in a dystopian 2030 instead of a possible one in which we enjoy our lives. And what social media does is it makes our lives easier. It keeps us connected to the people we love, to the sources of information we trust and uh, gives us time. It doesn't suck our time, it gives us time. Yeah. Let's wrap it up there. And if, if if we can make transparency and accountability part of the DNA of the internet, so yeah, politicians are accountable, uh, standards of news outlets accountable. If, if we can make that a standard on the internet, yeah, let, let's see where we can take it in the coming in the coming years, in the coming decade. And Tim, thanks so much for uh, joining the Trusted Web Podcast. And where can people find the pledges and the, the book? And uh, yeah educate us the best website is protruthpledge.org protruthpledge.org there you can find the book quite easily um, and if anybody wants to know more about changemakers that's changemakers-books.com well you'll see all kinds of books on transformation let's build a trusted web together let's build a trusted web together thanks tim it was uh, amazing talking to you you too, Sebastian, and to all of your viewers. 
get on board with that. That was Tim Ward and such interesting to see the, the approach on multiple levels. Go check out the website. It's on uh, the show notes, which you will find on our website, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. And there are multiple reasons to check that out for the show notes of every episode. But furthermore, you'll find a report on the state of misinformation as we surveyed thousands of partic uh, participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view the problem. And the insights and findings we have from the report, they, they amazed me. They're quite incredible. So check them out. And of course, on the website, you'll find the other episodes with other guests. Uh, there's education on use cases, all for building a trusted web through open source technology. It's all available there, of course, for free. TheTrustedWeb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey. And let's build the trusted web together. <laughs>